we gathered here again on another edition of uh, Mwango Spaces. Uh, we try to bring you the best uh, leaders from across Africa and across East Africa for really enlightening conversations about markets and uh, generally also about understanding how businesses work. And today we are here with the BK Group so that we can be able to understand what uh, they do and do very well. They just reported their uh, full year 2021 results. We were with them a while back last year when they reported the Q3 results, but we want an update for the full year. And also like just to maybe refresh our memory on what the, the company and the bank does and where they operate across markets. And today we also joined with the CRC, the person in charge of digital strategy at uh, Bank of Kigali. Obina will be able to give us more details on how the bank is approaching digital banking and maybe disruption from fintechs. So without further ado, I want to introduce the speakers. We'll start with Natalie and then Obina can say a little bit about yourselves and how the day has been. Natalie. Uh, Hi, Eric. Uh, good evening uh, from Nairobi. Are you in Nairobi? Yes, I am since yesterday. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Maybe you can tell us what you do at uh, BK Group. Thank you. Thank you, Mokaya. I'm a, a chief financial officer. I've been with the bank since uh, just after the IPO in 2011. And it's been a great uh, journey since joining the bank and which has now transformed into a group of holding companies. Thank you. Bina? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. You're new here, so we can uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on who you are and what you do at uh, BK Group and Bank of Kigali. Great. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Obina. I'm the Chief Digital Officer. I joined uh, Bank of Kigali in June 2020. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time with a special interest in education, software, and agriculture. I worked briefly at a few companies, including Paystack, uh, right before they sold to Stripe. And now I run the Digital Factory. We're a group of designers, software developers, product managers, business developers, etc., focused on building bespoke solutions, which will transform the way that customers interact with their favorite bank. So it's a pleasure. Let's start with Natalie, maybe on the personal side, refresh our memory on how your journey has been to being at BK Group. And I mean, how it's been, especially for a female rising through the ranks to become the CFO of uh, the biggest bank in Rwanda. Thank you very much, uh, Ewik, for the question. It's been an exciting journey. When you look at from university days, I worked in the UK for a couple of years as I was qualifying uh, as a professional accountant, worked in retail industry, mostly so leisure companies, so managing leisure centers and also retail fashion before moving back home in 2011, where I've been with the bank. The journey has been great, well supported in terms of career growth. So I joined the bank as investor relation uh, manager and then moved into reporting and the uh, head of finance later in the years. It's been a lot of learning. The bank was going very fast. Uh, You're looking at uh, 20 plus percent growth year on year. And uh, transforming into a full-fledged uh, financial group has been quite exciting. So we are now handling various transactions, not only banking, but offering a uh, full set of financial services, insurance, product, assets, the BK Capital uh, Asset Management, FinTech uh, company, BK Tech. So we are learning every day at the bank. Recently, we rolled out a new core banking system. So personally, I feel very supported in terms of personal growth, but also Rwanda is a place where women thrive. So if you can pull out your sleeves, the running ground is set for you. We feel very supported 
uh, from top leadership in terms of country promoting uh, female uh, leaders and all the way to the management of the bank. Thank you, Eric. Good. In contrast, Obina has been at the bank for a shorter period. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit of your journey. I know you're from Nigeria and uh, you've also studied in the U.S. Uh, so maybe you can map out that journey for us, Obina. Yeah, thank you. So I left the U.S. maybe in 2014, 2015. I moved to Lagos where I did entrepreneurship for a while before I worked with a few companies. And then, of course, I joined the bank in 2020. That was my first time in a large, larger, more corporate institution. It required quite a bit of adjusting, but it's an exciting space. Having started companies, run companies of my own, having worked with startups, I think the difference between that world and this one is there are a lot more resources here. And I think if you can leverage them appropriately, there's so much that you can achieve. So, yeah, it's been fun. And what made you join BK Group? Well, I think it was the role that was available of Chief Digital. You have Paystack, Flutterwave, Cuda Bank, Monzo, Revolut, New Bank. The market is hot. Financial technology, fintech companies, new ways of banking, new, new ways of transacting. And I wanted a way in to that world to participate, to contribute. And seeing Bank of Kigali's positioning, largest bank in Rwanda, I think one of two remaining local commercial banks and happens to be the largest in the market, including the foreign banks. And it was a bank where the, the leadership was courageous and they were looking to embark on a digital transformation journey. And I felt that I could contribute quite a bit. And like I said, the resources were there. So if you come with the right ideas, you can make quite a bit of impact. And I think the willingness is there all the way from the board, the shareholders, everyone is really excited and very focused on really doing something special in the digital. All right. So Natalie, for you, how does your day as a CFO look like? What do CFOs do day to day, week to week, and maybe how the year also for someone who's new to these roles or wants to be you in the future? Interesting. It's a fun job if you're a number cruncher. So you look at various problem solving for numbers. So first of all, you start with what are stake today and where do you have to go and what are the path or the options available for you to choose from. So you look at the survival of a company it's generally how well you're managing your assets, your yield on assets that you expect to deploy. You're looking at uh, the liability side generally, people you owe money to and uh, how happy and uh, managed they are. So on the day-to-day, you look at payments in finance terms. You look at payment to various stakeholders. You're looking at suppliers, tax staff at times also come under finance. And then you have on the receivable side, how well are your relationship with uh, various uh, people who owe you money? And the better the relationship generally means the happier everyone is. You get increased liquidity that you will find alternative investment options. So the more money you make, uh, everyone else will bring you uh, money. So money kind of drives more money. You manage relationship poorly, then you start seeing a squeeze on the liquidity side, which means your customer run away from you. So really you are looking at managing the number side, which is the financial health of an organization, if you look at it in terms of human body, you'd have uh, the blood uh, in your body. Great. And now, Bina, you can tell us a little bit of what a chief digital officer does. Are you maybe battling the, the trolls often or are you maybe are you busy trying to protect the resources of the organization in terms of digital resources? What does your day look like at Bank of Kigali? Yeah, I think all of the above. Digitization is hard because it requires changing habits, investing in um, different types of infrastructure changing people sometimes. So there's a lot of change and change is painful, it can be. And I run 
literally a factory. I mean, we build things here, and that's very different from what uh, is traditionally done in a bank. And I spend so much of my days in you know, sprint reviews, project management sessions, software architecture reviews, what's the best way to build X, design reviews, how do we improve the UI of our various platforms and create more product testing, one-on-one -on -one sessions with team members to make sure that they're satisfied with their career. I spend a lot of time reading documents, reviewing product requirement documents, which describe the way something is to be built and what the specs are before it's passed on to engineers and, and the control functions. Sometimes I you know, look at financial models or business cases. And sometimes I draft policies and documents that uh, define the way that the, the division works. And quite a bit of time is spent with stakeholders, both internal and external. Internal, you're always trying to convince people to support your work, allocate more budget, give you time, give you space. Same thing with the board. Sometimes you host investors or regulators to show them the great work you're doing so that they can get excited and also support you in any way that they can. So it's really exciting and I find myself doing just about everything. As a newcomer to Bank of Kigali, what's been your observation in the last few months that you've been out there in terms of digital transformation? How's this space looking like in Rwanda and across the continent from your uh, vantage point? So I think Bank of Kigali specifically, like I said, when, when I first started talking, I think the leadership has been courageous and I think the strategy has been evolving. They set up a digital factory, they hired a CDO, and the second CDO that the bank has had. And I think initially it was meant to be centralized. We will have one division that delivers on all of our digital journeys. And what's been happening is that every chief, every team leader has owned their own digitization. So my colleague, Natalie, they have all sorts of things that they do on a day-to-day -day basis, which can be done better with technology. They've taken the initiative to go and find the technology that works best for them. Same thing in operations. IT, et cetera. Uh, and so for us, we've come to now focus on the, uh, purely the customer uh, experience. And I think the excitement for where we can get to as we digitize, I think, is a common thread that runs through all of us here at the bank and the willingness to invest and fight for this as well. I, I describe us as people who are clued in. We understand that something needs to be done and we're doing our best to do those things. Rwanda as a nation, definitely at the forefront. I think if anyone has used like the Rembo or any of the other digital platforms here, which allow you to do things like declare your marriage or exchange lands, many things here are digitized. And I think just like the bank, there is like an eagerness and a sort of urgency that people have to digitize even more rapidly, even though I'd say Rwanda is ahead of most other nations, especially on the continent when it comes to digitization in many ways. Uh, so yeah, I think the understanding that it's important and then the willingness to do the hard things, do the needful, is what's really struck me since I've come. And, and for both you and Natalie, I see your plates are full. How do you manage time then? How do you allocate tasks across the day, across the year and across the quarters? Maybe I'll start with you, Bina, and then Natalie. <laughs> That's an interesting question. You take strategic decisions, right? You invest your time here. It's just like you're juggling. I think delegation is really important, having a very strong team. I'm one person, and the ideal is that I, I would clone myself and have people who make it feel like I have multiple hands, multiple heads. Everyone brings their strengths and their weaknesses. Yeah, so you have a strong team, you delegate. I think that's probably how I manage my time. And maybe today I did dedicate it to design reviews. The next day I dedicate it to product uh, requirement document review. The next day I dedicate it to stakeholders. You pick and choose and make sure that you have a strong team that can help you parallelize the work so that you are not you know, essential in every single project and every single meeting. So that's how I, I manage my time. 
Natalie, how do you manage your time, especially because you have to crunch all these numbers and make sure there's a central bank with eyes on you, there's the shareholders who want you to talk to them, there are the people under you who need you to talk to them, there's a board you need to report to, there's the executive team also you need to report to, and of course there are also other tasks. So how do you manage your time yourself? Exactly as Obina said, you need to set uh, the priorities right in terms of what has the strategic decision, for example, now would be managing risk, what has uh, the highest risk, and of course, empowering your team to deliver on the BAU, business as usual, uh, as much as you can. So being very close to your team when pressures are not very high, you know, the pressure point. Otherwise, when the pressure is too high, you look at priority and you focus on those key areas that requires your attention. Guidance and teamwork, very top in terms of uh, successful implementation. You have a strategy that's well communicated and the rest is really people to implement it. You stay close to the team. My team know they can reach uh, out to any of us for support 24-7. Of course, it's not that my phone is on at uh, 2 a.m. in the night, but I, I understand that if there was an emergency, it would be reachable. But generally, the doors are open wherever you are in the bank in terms of support. And uh, you kind of know the big picture that we are working towards. So a strategic vision communicated uh, all the way from top management being the board or all the way down to the junior staff. They know where we are aiming uh, to reach and we work together to achieve it at various levels. When the pressures are high, we do uh, look at priority and all of us will roll up our, our sleeves and address the right problems. You just reported the 2021 results, so maybe you could give us a little bit of perspective on what are the key takeaways from those numbers that you, which you wish investors to be aware of. Oh, great. Past couple of days in terms of uh, numbers that we've just released. So top lines and the, the record performance, I think, comes from our customer deposit growth. But overall, the bank or the group is doing quite well. Profitability around uh, 35% growth year on year to reach $51 million in the year, and that uh, still with some COVID challenges that we had to face in the year. You have customer deposit growth at year-on-year uh, -year at around 23%, and uh, total asset growth year-on-year -year 22 We are seeing all lines, all subsidiary performing uh, strongly. It's, it's very true to say that we expected COVID to not be behind so fast. We're projecting GDP growth for the country at around 7%. We managed to achieve 10.9%. So good growth across various uh, sectors. And we saw this translating into better liquidity for our customer deposit, which we managed to invest uh, in our large corporate portfolio, as well as other government security and the like. So we are seeing also some cost efficiencies, good management of cost, the pre-provision Profit uh, year on year were actually at a 17.8% increase, and you are looking at recurring cost of 39.2%. Uh, this is an exceptional year when you look at performance for the bank specifically because we managed to go live with our new core banking system in quarter four. And that has been uh, a project that we were implementing despite the challenges of COVID for the past couple of years. We had to work with consultants remotely and also have a project team uh, set up to manage the go live in 2021. Various systems have gone live. So we have the support uh, system for ERP fin uh, Oracle uh, on the cloud that was deployed earlier in 2021. And then the second implementation was of the the core banking system. So a bit of pressure on the cost side 
on the IT related expenditure and also the depreciation cost in quarter four. But overall, efficiency uh, well managed at 36% cost to income ratio. What was very interesting now that I was uh, looking at uh, Kenyan banks' performance, you'd see that BK is ranking very well with the Kenyan banks, yet we are seeing market still has lots of opportunity in terms of catching up with the regional performance. So we have 46% banking asset to GDP compared to the 60-plus in Kenya, yet when you look at our ranking, BK Group is ranking first ahead of KCB, NCBA, and Equity Bank. These are big financial institutions that are doing quite well. What's really driving BK's performance, and that we are seeing more to come in the near future, is really around our better asset quality. So NPL ratio for the bank is currently at 5.3%, and we we expect this to come below 5% very soon. The banking sector asset quality has improved, yet we are still holding some Asset, the hotel sector is still having some asset in non-performing classes due to restructuring for COVID. NIM for BK Group is very attractive at 10.7% compared to 7.2% average for Kenyan banks. Cost to income ratio, I mentioned it earlier, extremely uh, attractive. Where I've not come across another bank that's doing better than BK, whether you're looking at it from Continental or, or elsewhere. And we don't see this as one-off performance for FY21. We expect our cost-to-income ratio to be below 40% for the year. And loan-to-deposit growth has been consistently higher uh, compared to the average uh, market, whether on the Kenyan side or on the Rwandan side. So we are seeing our performance really being sustained into the future. Where we have been scoring poorly has been around the annual share price return. So we are looking at liquidity really hitting uh, BK Group due to the you know, illiquid uh, stock on the Rwandan uh, Stock Exchange. We've cross-listed on the Nairobi Stock Exchange. However, still the performance came second. Uh, well, we are still uh, in the top 12 uh, uh, stock you know, on the Nairobi Stock Exchange, and we are very pleased with that because we still see a lot of potential still uh, for us in the, in the Kenyan market. But our payout ratio also uh, ranked at seven. When you're looking at payout ratio in the past, we've been around, for the past four years, we've been around 29.4% average compared to 36 for Kenyan banks. This is from various research shared by the, the Kenyan analyst. And this we expect to change. When you look at dividend yield and payout ratio uh, for the current year, we are very pleased that the board recommend a 50% payout ratio for 2022. This is maintained from FY21. This is just to also play catch-up from for the missed dividend we had in FY20. However, looking at our liquidity and uh, our liquidity position in terms of the growth on the customer deposits that I mentioned earlier, we and then the growth we see on our fees and commission from the banking and our other subsidiaries, we see a potential to maintain high payout ratio, which will allow the group to introduce interim dividend in the year. We are very excited about improving this pain point in terms of dividend yield and annual share price return. We expect the market to respond positively, and that will mean BK will actually rank uh, strongly when you compare to, uh, to, the, to, you know, to the regional uh, competitors. In other areas, I'd mentioned that the group is doing quite a lot in terms of looking at opportunity regionally. We are looking at life insurance first in our local market and possibility of looking at advisory services for asset management in the region. 
So I would say we are very excited for the 2021 result. We think 2022 will be even better at the back of improved asset quality, reduction of cost of risk, improved non-funded income. So the business team is very aggressive on bringing even higher fees and commission, FX revenues. And then we also have the liquidity from customer deposits that we expect to deploy in the retail and SME segment. We are very focused on growing these two segments faster, and that's where the future of banking is. And then for other subsidiaries, we are very uh, optimistic in terms of performance, whether locally or in the region. I will say the last part in terms of key development in the Rwandan market, we have Kigali International Financial Center coming up with great incentives uh, for investors to invest in Rwanda and us being accessible even on the Nairobi Stock Exchange means uh, withholding tax being zero rated on dividend for listed entities that are member of Kigali International Financial Center is great return. So dividend yield reaching close to 15% uh, in terms of projection for FY22, we think most capital, we expect to see more uh, interest from uh, foreign uh, direct investment into local markets. And we, we expect also development in terms of custody relationship that will improve uh, the liquidity of our stock. Thank you very much. Wow, that's a lot of information to process. Uh, but uh, some key ratios to pay attention to is that they had a dividend payout ratio of around 50%. So that puts them almost in the top, I think, top two or three banks even in Kenya in terms of paying dividends. Something else she's talked about is a 10% dividend yield. That means that they pay, they're paying out a dividend of around three shillings and the share price is around 30. So that gives you around 10% dividend yield. Another key number to check out is, of course, the fact that the projection, at least going forward, is around a 15% dividend yield in 2022. Uh, so I think that's something to pay close attention to. Something else maybe to recap also is total assets. Across board, it's positive. Uh, total assets were up around 22%. Provisions up uh, slightly compared to other banks, which were down. Uh, also, EPS up th- around 34%. So across board, the bank seems to be doing well. So in the meantime, as you process those very good numbers, I wanted to go back to Obina to give us a little bit of the, the digital strategy for the bank and helping us un- understand what exactly digital banking entails for Bank of Kigali and for across the space in Africa. Yes, thank you. I, I think Bank of Kigali has been known as a corporate and government banks. In fact, I think the perception of banking in Rwanda in general is that if you're wealthy, then you're banking, right? And then Momo's for everyone else. So... Our digital strategy is to change that perception by providing products and services that allow every Rwandan to bank with us without having to come to a branch. Digital banking means that uh, whether you're applying for a mortgage or you're trying to pay a bill or you're trying to transfer money, you can do it from the comfort of your home or your office, um, from the palm of your hand or from a web browser. And we're working very hard to achieve that already. We do have a mobile app. We do have internet banking, but soon, at some point this year, we're hoping to uh, revamp these platforms and have something that is much more competitive. So maybe you could give us a little bit more of perspective on also, are you engaged in cryptocurrencies and what's the attitude of, especially of Rwanda on these kind of new forms of uh, digital money and digital currencies? Yeah, so the space is still currently, you know, unregulated and banks, our job is to be risk averse. So we don't dabble in that space until the you know, central bank has officially made their position clear. But increasingly, where we are seeing other platforms in Rwanda like Yellow Card 
and spend through INM Bank, introducing Rondens to the crypto markets. You're now able to buy Bitcoin with mobile money. And I do think also the central bank is studying or looking into CBDCs. I think increasingly there will be some conversation around that. But for now, it's unregulated. Those us individuals in the bank who care about these things, we know quite a bit about it. We're ready to innovate whenever the regulatory space is, is accommodating to that. But for now, we have to kind of stay away from that and focus on digitizing the more traditional types of financial. Is there a worry amongst banks in terms of being disrupted by fintechs? Uh, because fintechs have pretty high valuations. They seem to be well armed in terms of capital uh, to use sub banks. But then again, they run on the rails of banks uh, mostly uh, to perform some of the functions that they do. And of course, the other thing is every fintech at one point wants to become like a bank and every bank wants to become a bit like a fintech in terms of maybe valuations set up to approach to business. What's your perspective on that? Do Will fintechs disrupt banks fully or would there be a, a point where it would be, makes sense for both to collaborate in terms of uh, pushing forward the digital agenda? It's a good question. And I think the answer is the last thing you said, collaboration. But my perspective is that uh, fintech startups and banks are in you know, fundamentally different businesses, right? Traditional banks, they lend. Bank of Kigali, most of our money comes from interest income and we're good at it, right? We find good deals, we make relationships, we lend money and we lend it profitably. Take, we can take your deposits, you can trust us and we return 6 to 8% on your deposits and we charge people 7 to 18% on their loans, right? So this is what we're good at. And it remains to be seen that startups can make this transition. Now, they're really smart people running these companies, but they're also fundamentally different from the kind of people who work in banks, who are seasoned and who have worked in finance. There are some examples where startups have made this transition successfully. I think one is Starling Bank out of the UK. During the pandemic, they bought a mortgage bank. So they're trying to build up their portfolio to have more traditional banking products. There's only so much you can do with transaction banking, bill payments and transfers and all of that, because at some point, these things are commoditized. So the marginal price is going to be zero. You can't charge for these things to everyone. You can get it anywhere, right? So in the end, it comes back to lending. How well can you uh, attract and uh, maintain deposits and then turn around and lend that money profitably? Now, I think on, on the first bit, the deposit side, that's where fintechs can have an edge because their customer experiences are superior, vastly superior in many cases to what banks have traditionally offered. You can do most things from your phone or from your computer. These experiences are well-designed, well-built, and they're bespoke, whereas many banks tend to uh, rely on third-party um, vendors to provide their services. And so you end up with a bank that is white-labeled the same platform somebody else is using. Or even the banks that in-house these things, maybe they haven't quite nailed the culture so they don't have the right talent without managing them properly. So the output is not that great, right? So there are a lot of things that stand in the way um, of banks to kind of bridge that gap to the fintechs. But at the same time, fintechs have, they have a long way to go, right? You have very few profitable neobanks. The, the most financial technology companies right now are payment processors, right? But the banks haven't quite cracked it. So I do think collaboration is one way, right? I think for those banks who aren't able to figure out the culture and build amazing things in-house, they need to partner. For those fintechs that maybe cannot transition and start to become profitable, perhaps they need to partner. But I think the holy grail and those banks that will excel, banks like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, HSBC, elite banks around the world, I'd like to count Bank of Kigali as one of them. We are building internal capacity to innovate and to build so that we can meet the fintechs right where they are. If you can drop an app that's nice, we can do the same thing, if not better. So that's 
our personal philosophy, and that's what we've been working towards at BK. Back to Natalie a little bit. Uh, there's something we did last time in terms of giving people a quick overview of how a bank's balance sheet looks like. And it, I think it, it's very, very vital for people to understand, especially those who want to invest in banks, circles, and these kind of financial institutions. So maybe you can give us again a quick overview of how a bank's balance sheet looks like for someone who's new to this. Thank you very much. Uh, for bank balance sheets, and typically now uh, looking at us as financial institutions, you look at the denominator as the most important because they're the provider of capital. So we have our equity shareholders who would uh, support us for thick and thin. They'll provide capital and uh, any money that we will be making in the profitability section will increase the reserve for shareholders' equity. And these are long-term capital generally, unless really you are going for struggle, your shareholder will support you and you reinvest the capital into various business lines that will be more profitable. Then second, I would like to look at is the customer liability side. So you have various type of customers, so people who would, that we owe money. So this will be people who trust us in the relationship management process. We have our customer being a bank. You are in the intermediary business where you would get enough trust for, for your customers to give you their, their liquidity for you to deploy in various asset categories. And they will expect to knock at your door anytime and reach their fund. So we're looking at customer deposit, generally, mostly on current account. Second, you look at biggest class will be term deposit. So customer who are feeling they can predict into the near future, they will place for a year or two or into the future in terms of fixed term deposit. And then you have the likes of savings product that will follow suit. So you are looking at a good chunk of our liquidity currently. Around 51% is customer deposit in current account. And we appreciate this because these are kind of day-to-day accessible, followed by the uh, term deposit at around 14% bra- uh, bracket. Significantly uh, of importance for us is uh, the relationship with other banks. So we have bank deposits, both on short term, uh, that is deposit from financial institution, whether in term deposits or just uh, the other financial institution current account in our bank. And uh, this at the moment at around another 12% bracket in terms of uh, total liabilities. So you have deposits from other banks followed by borrowings to banks. So also uh, BK will borrow from another financial institution. Why we do that? We'll do that to manage our margins, uh, that net interest margins, and also to, to manage the maturity profile. So to manage our asset and liability uh, maturities, we will take some position in terms of us borrowing from other financial institutions for five, seven to 10 years just to supplement liquidity in our book. Because remember what I mentioned earlier, 51% of our customer deposit is in current account. So anything can happen at any time where the customer needs to withdraw this liquidity. We need to have some maturity management in terms of payment of our other lines. Other liabilities that we have will be tax payment and other balances in transit. So generally, uh, money that are yet to clear into our customer deposit will be in transit account. And also the payment we have for various uh, taxes that we've collected, it being our own or from our customers, we hold them as liability and uh, they have due date 
on the liability side, which generally can range from one month uh, to a quarter in, in terms of payment plans. Then we'll move to the balance sheet, the numerator, which is the asset side. Once you've raised all this liquidity from uh, your shareholders and your various relationship with customer, being uh, individual customers, corporate or financial institutions, you will then look at this liquidity to be more profitable for you. You will decide how well you invest it in which asset class. Our biggest asset class is on uh, loan uh, uh, balances. So this is how much we are investing in loans. We have uh, to look at and pay close attention to our customers' ability to repay the loans that they are borrowing from us. And that means asset quality has to be well managed. Do you have the right collateral? Do you have the right customer segmentation and profile? So about 65% of our assets will be in loans because these are where you are pricing the risk at high yield. So for example, my loan on average, uh, the loan book for BK at at the moment is around 15.8% yield. So it means we are actually earning 15%, close to 16% for 65% of our total asset. Just before I move from the loans, you'd have the loans that uh, have a maturity profile of close to five years. So you have loans, some mortgage loans for 15 years uh, term, you have the short-term facility that are like uh, overdraft, cash credit lines, and they like at shorter terms. When you look at a blended average, you'll be at around five years uh, repayment plan. That means you have to have some liquidity in the short term in case your customer deposits have to be paid or your shareholders need dividends and the likes. So we'll invest the next portion in terms of liquidity management. The remaining big asset class will be in securities like government securities or or the corporate bonds. These are generally uh, yielding around 10%, the 11% range, close to the uh, 16% we are earning on the loans. However, short-term maturity means they are are more attractive when you have any excess liquidity. And also the short-term maturity means that you can serve your customer faster. So the next class will be your cash uh, holding. So you'll have cash in correspondence banks, that's uh, other banks holding our money because we will have uh, uh, currencies that we need to hold, for example, dollars, euro, and uh, the pound. And that are generally held in foreign banks uh, to match the liability side, which is our customers having foreign currency deposits. Then you also have the central bank balances, various regulatory requirements in terms of ratio of liquidity that we need to hold within the central bank. And the next in the asset class would be our cash holding in the vault and for our services, for our day-to-day operation. These are generally lower level of cash that we hold in the branches. Any cash that we need to hold in the bank will be first banked at the central bank, local currency or foreign currency, then the correspondent banks. Last on the asset class will be your physical asset and intangible. So you have your buildings, brick and mortars, and also you have your intangible, like for us currently growing fast, which is the investment in core infrastructure side. So we have the core banking system uh, that will take a good chunk. So we have about $30 million uh, in fixed assets, both tangible and intangible. And so that's pretty much an overview of the balance sheet of a typical bank. Now, being a, a, a group a financial institution, you are looking at the insurance asset and liability being slightly different, where you have uh, premium receivables and, pay, and payable as opposed to the loans. 
and on the asset, the other subsidiary for BK Capital, similar structure, you do look at asset being what is going to be paid to you as opposed to liability where you owe money to other stakeholders, being government, clients, or your shareholders. Thank you. Great stuff. Always nice to go through the bank's balance sheet with you. I think we should have like a finance 101 for most people and you should be the teacher there. So back to Obina uh, about digital strategy and all. So maybe you can give us a little bit of perspective in terms of, I know you're building most of these assets internally, but is there a point where you feel like the bank can also be an incubator for startups in tech, but also at the same time can also maybe go out and buy some of these um, fintechs that are out there that have good assets that you can leverage to maybe continue building the platforms that you want to build, Obina? Yeah, thank you. So definitely collaboration and acquisition, they're both viable strategies. I think at, at this stage in, in Bank of Kigali's evolution, we're still more focused on traditional banking. Shareholders might see talk about acquisitions and things like that as a distraction at this point. It, it's not really something that's been explored, but it's something that we're aware could add value to what we do. So for acquisitions, that's probably further down the line. But in terms of collaboration, we do that quite a bit. We work with partners from all over the place. And many of these partners, they integrate their solutions to our solutions and they work uh, together. So both collaboration and acquisition are, are viable. And then maybe for the future in terms of maybe building the bank up to become more and more fintechy, then do you foresee like a, sometimes maybe a, a bit of a, maybe a clash with the, the traditional way in which business is done? Or do you foresee a future where digital money takes over and then we do not need cash anymore. What's your perspective, especially in the cashless economy? Yeah, so definitely that's where we're headed. At, at some point, people won't use cash, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a place for banks. I'm of the opinion that even with, with the launch of CBDCs, banks will still have a role to play in the financial ecosystem. You're always going to need a firm, a group of people who specialize in taking deposits and lending profitably. And that is what banks do well. And I think the banks that will thrive are the banks that can figure out how to create amazing digital customer experiences. And we're working really hard to make sure that Bank of Kigali is one of them. And then also in terms of digital uh, maybe trends that you're seeing, what are some of the things that you've observed uh, in your maybe one year plus of being at a big uh, group and also across Africa generally? What are the interesting aspects of digital banking and, and digital currencies that you're noticing that may be of interest to our listeners today? Yeah, so many different trends. I think in Africa, what's peculiar is the role of telecommunications companies in Western markets and I think in Asian markets as well. Telcos don't really do much in this space, but in Africa, you have MTN and Airtel offering financial services in the form of mobile money, and they have ambitions to go beyond that, maybe to get banking licenses if central banks allow them. And so banks find themselves with very, very strategically placed competitors or potential competitors, and it keeps us on our toes. So I think that's one trend that we see specifically in Africa. I think digital banking at large around the world, everything is a channel now. It used to be just internet banking, mobile banking, and in Africa, USSD. But these days, people do it on their Apple Watches. People do it with Alexa and Siri, voice-based interaction with your bank. You know, hey, send $50 to my kid, right? And it'll do it. Uh, and then this is happening now. It's kind of pervading every corner of our lives. Another trend, I think that's global. Talent is the ultimate constraint, I think. Everyone's fighting for the same designers and developers. You know, it becomes like an arms race who can pay the most, who can give the most in equity, etc. For those who employ in Africa, these skills are global. Your talent can get poached by anyone anywhere else. So this is something that everyone is struggling with. And 
I think the people who can crack culture and compensation, they'll be the ones to win. There's a shifting preference towards mobile banking. Uh, you know, internet banking is becoming less and less popular. Everybody wants to do things on their phone. Customers still want interactions with humans as much as we're going digital. But instead of doing the transactions, they're looking for counsel, somebody who they can get advice from. What should they do with their money? Where should they invest it? People are getting more control, self-service. You forgot your password, no need to interact with anyone at the bank. There are means through which you can get that password reset all on your own. Whether you're sending money abroad, you have transactions with, which require multiple levels of approval. Increasingly, anything that you need to do that's money-related can be done without interacting with the banker. So I think that is an accelerating trend. And I think a day will come when you don't need a human being for anything apart from advice. And, and even the advice bit, that might one day be replaced in the far future. And I think lastly, security measures are becoming more sophisticated, biometrics, facial recognition. It's a trend that is still in development, but I think and we see it a lot with fintech startups specifically around the area of uh, digital customer self-onboarding. You scan your face, scan your ID card, you can become a customer of a financial institution in, in a very re remote way. And I think th these types of security measures, biometrics and all of that, one day we might be using it to approve transactions or to reset passwords. But I think that that's also a trend that's also accelerating. And it's also something that we kind of embrace here at the bank. And hopefully these features can find their way into our products sooner rather than later. Thank you. And then also in terms of tapping into the global ecosystem, I mean, uh, you see some of the valuation, some of the fintechs are fetching uh, in Africa, I think $3 billion for Flutterweave. Do valuations generally scare you or do you think those are, the valuations are justified across the, maybe the fintech space in Africa or do you think there is room for growth there? This is from your own personal perspective, especially having lived in the U.S. I'm actually interested in Natalie's answer, but my perspective on this, I think valuation, it's a matter of perspective and sometimes it's just like it's semantic, right? If it means something to you, that makes any sense. If you're valued at $3 billion, this is because somebody invested a small portion, right? Or someone invested in you and, and took a small portion of ownership in your company and then pro rata you're not worth that, that amount right but can you sell yourself for three billion dollars today right i think that's a question some of these startups have to ask themselves right so no i don't think valuation scares me right if a african startup that was valued at three billion wanted to swallow up bank of kigali which is valued you know under 400 million they can try i mean the owners of Bank of Kigali have to value those shares because they don't have that money in cash. What, what you see across, especially in the continent, you take Nigeria as an example, their largest banks, every year in profit after tax, they earn more than what these companies are worth. They could buy them with one year's worth of profits, right? Um, now, they're not worth half as much, but they have raw cash and they have assets. And I think when you're talking about banking, that's what matters, right? I think when you buy a share in a bank, we're talking about EPS and we're talking about uh, the dividend yield at Bank of Kigali, you know, we're projecting 15% dividend yield in 2022. Where else do you get that? You don't get that in startups, right? It's a different kind of asset class. So it's for people with different appetites. And I think that the valuations don't really make a difference in terms of what these companies have the capacity to achieve, right? I think... A bank like Bank of Kigali or the traditional banks can build whatever these fintechs are building. And in some ways, sometimes these high valuations can become an impediment. Um, Monzo did a down round during the pandemic because they didn't manage their unsecured lending portfolio properly. They needed to raise money at a lower valuation than the last round. And this has happened so many different times, right? I think liquidity, you know, the, the money that you have on hand to invest in things, I think that is much more important. 
Um, I think profits, that's much more important. So it's a different race. We're not playing a game where the, the last person with a bag is a loser. No, if you hold stock in a good bank, traditional bank, you'll earn um, good money on dividends. And as that bank grows, uh, your assets will also grow at, at a respectable rate. Bank of Kigali has grown 20% year on year, right? And we're doing uh, pretty good in the dividend yield area. And I think it's just a fundamentally different thing that we're doing than, than what the fintechs are doing. So definitely not losing sleep over valuation. Maybe the same question to Natalie. Uh, valuations, do they scare you in terms of how some of these uh, institutions uh, or at least these startups are valued uh, versus Bank of... Thank you. I can't add uh, more or agree more with uh, Obina. It's really just different industries. You would definitely not lose sleep over them. We are doing different uh, things. If you bought BK at IPO today, you are looking at the return you've accumulated over over time, it's pure gain, and you're looking at capital market metrics in terms of incentives, no capital gain tax, no withholding tax uh, coming in the near future. Real gain, I don't see any return when you compare to real cash uh, in our pocket to the likes of what BK is doing. You look at tripling your investment over a space of uh, five uh, to seven years. Well, I'm not sure a good valuation will give you this kind of return. It is nice to have high valuation uh, PE. We are all looking at having high PE ratios and the likes. But as Obina said, the valuation is only as good as what someone can offer for it today. And that is only if you want to sell. You may actually have high valuation for BK today and none of our shareholders want to sell. It means completely nothing. Yeah? But is it good to have? Yes. Have high market capitalization means... You are appreciated is like the beautiful girl in town, but really it's about the return in your pocket if you're looking at investment yield. And that you look at it differently when you compare fintechs because they do actually have uh, some negative EPS uh, generally. But in terms of moving various products and services, they are doing very well, despite the fact that they are not uh, profitable. And we think it's good. But investors-wise, we have different investors' strategy. And if you're looking at getting for a normal basic retail investment strategy, your BK stock is worth much more than a high-capitalized uh, fintech. Thank you. Good stuff. Uh, it's been an hour now with these two. We have a few more minutes. So if you have questions, you can either send us via DM you can also see our pinned tweet, which has a poster for this particular event today, and then you can send in your questions. And But you can also request to speak, and then we can give you a chance to ask your questions. So we have a few more minutes for that. So in the meantime, we're going to go back a little to some of the questions that I still have that are pending here. So I would want to ask, especially Natalie, how, how you think about especially the new acquisition by KCB in Rwanda BPR uh, in terms of competition in the market. They're very intent on being uh, on toppling BK Group in Rwanda. So are you looking to expand in, into other countries and does that scare you in terms of them being well capitalized and coming from across Kenya to Rwanda? So is it, what's your perspective? Thank you, Eric. I see this as an impressive strategy. They've announced it quite clearly that they want to be number one bank in Rwanda. We welcome the competition for sure. Uh, there's still some gap though when you look at... Uh, Market share on key metrics, they will be slightly below 20% for the major of the two institutions. What has been quite impressive is the fact that they returned the BPR brand. They've converted it slightly by adding the bank, but I think uh, returning the BPR brand as opposed to KCB Rwanda was a good move in terms of BPR being quite well known and uh, coming from more 
cooperative bank would. We see them being a good number two for now. We would lose sleep if today we heard that KCB Group is planning to inject about 200 billion capital in the Rwandan market. That, of course, will definitely get everyone running. For now, we welcome the competition in terms of doing business together. So looking at syndication of some facility that in the past will mean getting four or five banks together. Now it means we could actually just make a phone call to uh, the KCB and maybe just add equity and we close on a big transaction locally. So we see KCB as a good addition in terms of mergers and acquisition. We uh, expect them to be quite busy this year with the upgrade of their core banking system, which is similar to what we just uh, deployed, the T24. In terms of strategy, we are not anticipating a significant change yet. Comparing to our previous investment in branch infrastructure, we see our our competitor uh, in the past being really BPR. So they've invested also in branch network. Maybe they will need to upgrade it uh, slightly to a more modern look but and branding, which we see them doing without any problem. But in terms of capital, we still have a bigger gap in terms of market share for uh, capital uh, deployed. We are definitely not going to relax and, uh, and assume that it's a race that's won. So we are focusing on retail and SME strategy aggressively. Our efficiency in terms of cost management also gives us a leading advantage. Our cost-to-income ratio is attractive by far across the board. We expect this also to improve, if anything. We see the agency network, maybe the competitor on the agency network being more equity bank. So we are also improving in terms of connectivity uh, challenge that we're having in the past in terms of uh, agency network and uh, POS uh, connectivity. So we see competition as tightening in the market, but not really scary because the pie is still quite big for all of us to share. Banking asset to GDP remain uh, quite low when compared to the Kenyan uh, market. We have a about 46% of banking assets to GDP. Kenya is around 60 plus. So we see room for more investment in the market. In fact, we think there should be even a couple other acquisitions because the market is very, very attractive. We have stable names. So net interest margin strong at around 10.9, 11% range. No significant pressure on the loan yield. Cost of fund well managed when you're looking at retail and SME costs. So it's the only area that uh, we thought was a challenge for BK specifically is asset quality, but we are also seeing some improvement there. That is despite the challenge we've, we've been having on COVID. So NPL ratio for the sector at 4.6 means most of the banks are doing quite well and we should be able to release some of the high charges that we are holding for impairment charges. And that means if doing business is more profitable, bringing in more capital will be feasible. However, there's still quite a lot to do in Rwanda when you're looking at banking penetration, financial services like insurance product and and the likes. We still have a lot to do and a competition like KCB acquisition for BPR is a welcomed move. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Uh, so in terms of uh, maybe comparing across markets in Africa and maybe the U.S. where you've been, how is Rwanda since you've been there for a little while? Maybe you can tell us in terms of your perspective, how you found the country as a whole. For an outsider who's living there, how is it? It's a broad question. I'd say you know, quality of life is top. Uh, there's a word here, agachiro, means dignity. I think that concept is really important and you see it everywhere. You know, I always tell my friends from Nigeria, other places, that even if you're a painter, 
um, your kid probably goes to a public school and you probably have health care coverage, right? And your streets are clean and your food is usually fresh, right? I mean, that's not to say there aren't challenges, but I think uh, there's a dignity in the quality of life here that it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find that elsewhere, especially in Africa. And it's great as an African, as a, as a black person, uh, to have a country um, like this that's doing so well for its people. So it's inspiring and it really shows what's possible if folks do the right thing. I could say a lot more, but yeah, that's what I'll say for now. Thank you. I didn't see a lot of questions, but there's a question here. Maybe I can direct it more to Natalie. Uh, you cross-listed from Rwanda in, at the NSC. Uh, maybe you can give us how that experience was and how has it boosted liquidity and would you encourage maybe other companies to do that? And how can one invest in BK Group, at least from the Kenyan perspective, if you're aware, aware of that? That's a great question. We cross-listed on Nairobi Stock Exchange just uh, before COVID when we managed uh, to raise 60 million USD. Very good support on the right issue side and also getting new investors who could not access the stock due to custodial relationship limitation on the Rwandan market. So we have more international shareholders on the Nairobi side that could access the stock. We followed uh, them to give them access to the Rwandan story. And we've seen that grow since the cost listing. And despite COVID, the liquidity on the Nairobi stock exchange has by far exceeded the performance on the uh, Rwandan Stock Exchange. We actually reached 40 Kenya shillings at some point last year, and we're very pleased with that. So we expect to do still more in terms of investor relations. We have our representative office here in Nairobi. You can reach out to them anytime for any information. We do have brokers relationship both on the Rwandan market side and also on the Kenyan side where you will approach your broker if you wanted to buy a stock and BK is fully available on both sides. When you look at the yield, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, We don't have to do much more because the return that BK is offering is second uh, to none on the Kenyan market and also on the Rwandan side we remain the top performer. So we see good return to our our shareholders as something we will sustain in the near future or even in the long term. Our strategy is to to grow our return on average equity to the range of uh, 25%. We are currently second I think in the market, when you look at equity and and KCB as a key competitor on the stock performance, we came second in terms of performance last year on the Nairobi Stock Exchange. As I said earlier, the strong performance from BK is mostly when you compare us in terms of asset quality, our prudent provisioning level. So we have highest coverage ratio, highest cost of risk, which is short-term you know, prudence, and we are still returning high yield uh, in terms of dividend yield. Although capital growth in terms of market price is still lagging behind, we see that also being moved somehow this year because it's only so much we can hold it back. Our book value is currently higher than our stock price on the market. So our sh- more people wanting, the demand will drive the price uh, increase. However, so much is being done in terms of incentives. So the dividend that we'll pay this year, we expect zero-rated withholding tax. And that is incentive from the Kigali International Financial Center to drive more investors uh, into Rwandan stock. So we expect the price to also increase, which will mean much higher return to our shareholders. So if you needed any information, you reach out to our representative office in Capitol Hill, 
upper hill and then you have also your broker in the capital market that will be able to uh, access the stock for you if you're on the Nairobi Stock Exchange and on the Rwandan side we so we do have brokers uh, available to assist we actually have our own asset uh, management company that also offer brokerage services uh, BK Capital so you can reach us on the phone we'll be able to guide you uh, to reach out to a broker and access the stock thank you very much All right. There's a question here for Obina. I think two, actually. Uh, how does your team measure success, especially when linked to BK's financial results? That's the first one. So how you measure results. And then the second one is about, do you have opportunities or are you looking to work with uh, SMEs and startups? And if yes, what avenues do you have for that? Yeah, thank you. So I think the first question is great. I think our contribution to the bank's P&L should be in the area of liquidity primarily and then in the area of NFI non-funded income. So if we can attract and then retain more customers and then have them trusted with their money and what they're able to do with their money through our channels and they put more money with us, that boosts our ability to balance our books and disburse more loans. And then if we can drive more transactions on our channels, onboard a million plus retail customers and tens of thousands of SMEs who transact, you know, send money locally uh, and abroad pay bills and and use other value added services like bulk payments on our platforms then we can also drive up our revenue from fees. It's, it's exciting because from my perspective we haven't even begun. We haven't really scratched the surface. I think there's so much um, empty space and there's so many customers to be gained in a market that's been dominated by the likes of MTN. So we're really excited to uh, start writing our own story as of later this year. And with respect to working with SMEs, we're definitely very open. I think we do work with SMEs now. I mean, we we lend to them obviously. There are customers, but companies that have uh, services that we need as a bank, they can offer them faster and and at a cost that's reasonable. We're always willing to have a conversation. So we're always putting out tenders when we need various services and we have worked with a number of SMEs so there are different avenues for that i find someone in the bank to talk to figure out what our needs are let us know what you're offering and the day that we're ready to pull the trigger on something then we'll consider you in our tender process all right back to natalie a question on uh, the dividends the buy backs that you in the process of maybe uh, talking to the regulator about how's that process Thank you. We do not have buyback on the table. If you mean buyback of our shares from the capital market, what we do offer in terms of dividend will be a dividend to investment plan where our shareholders can choose not to receive cash dividend instead receive shares where we go to the market and buy those shares uh, for them instead of paying them cash dividend. No buyback discussion on the table in terms of reducing our number of shares. In fact, if anything, we should be projecting in the future, uh, maybe not the near future, some share addition, so maybe in the forms of share split uh, to have more liquidity on the market. So no, there's no buyback on the table, but if you refer to the dividend uh, reinvestment plan, we do buy shares for our shareholders who do not wish to receive cash and mostly these are linked to international shareholders, the challenge around paying dividend in local currency converting them in foreign currency and expatriating the fund so long term shareholders will prefer to hold their dividend into shares and that means we go to the market and buy shares for them a small other portion of buyback uh, if you call it buyback will be the employee share ownership uh, plan where we do 
have some schemes for employees where we will buy shares in the market. Again, small scale, we buy shares for our employee to align interest in terms of employee and share ownership. Thank you. And maybe as we wind down now in the last uh, 15 minutes of the podcast, starting with the webinar, share a little bit about maybe the kind of advice that you give a younger self or someone who's starting in the field uh, that you are in the tech space. What kind of advice would you tell them or something that you wish yourself knew as you joined this space? Yeah, thanks. I think my advice would be that uh, deep knowledge and mastery of skills, those are things that give you leverage in today's world, right? Be good at something, invest in yourself, be very good at something and never stop growing. As you get older and you accumulate more responsibility, it's harder to find time to invest in yourself. That's why you see executives taking executive courses instead of quitting and doing the full degree because there just isn't much time. So while you're young, take advantage of that youth and build yourself up as much as possible. There's a saying about preparation and opportunity. When that opportunity comes, if you're not prepared, you'll miss it. So yeah, while you're young, get very good at something and, and be knowledgeable and uh, you'll stand a really good chance of doing well in this world. Same question to Natalie. Thank you. Obina said it, work very hard uh, at improving yourself and also looking at the success factors of my country. I would say look at the integrity level within. within. So you're looking at uh, what good inside you will transpire into good outcomes. So you are looking at strong leadership from a high level of integrity, be close to like-minded self, work very hard, achieving your target. And sooner or later, you would get the result you want. So passion, hardworking, and a high level of, of integrity will lead to strong leadership. And uh, if you have the right knowledge in terms of investing in yourself, you cannot uh, miss out on your goals. And maybe another question for Natalie, then where do you see BK Group in the next year of one to five years? Where would you want the bank to be? Oh, that's a very good one. I'd want to see the bank still within 35% market share on the Rwandan market, but also go into the continent and outsource the great things that we are currently doing in Rwanda, looking at all subsidiary uh, products, so insurance, both life and general, asset uh, management, and also expansion of the capital market into the continent. So I see capital growth and also replicating the Rwandan model in the continent due to the fact that it has been quite successful uh, for us from the strong leadership uh, perspective. If we can replicate this model in countries, especially I'm personally interested in West African countries' development, and I see this as model we can replicate quite easily. Thank you. Been the same question, but now I think for you then also give us a little bit of perspective on what you would like to see across the continent in terms of the tech space and just the startup space, what you'd love to see. So start with BK Group and then give us a little bit of your your wish list for how Africa would look like in the next couple of years. Thank you. I think the BK Group is destined to you know have a unified digital financial services platform where you can access our insurance products our investment products through BK Capital, and then, of course, our banking services through Bank of Kigali. I think that's where we're headed. And I see us offering these things through channels that are as good as, if not better, than anything you can get around the world. I see us being truly competitive. I see us as ubiquitous. I see us as dominance in the retail space with every Rwandan banking with us. I know it's ambitious, but I know we can do it. Every single one of them. If you're too young, then your parents should open an account for you. That's what I see down the line and in the future. And I see us 
completing our transformation into a hybrid company that is good at building technology, but is also very good at the traditional art of managing money and investments. For the startup ecosystem across the continent, it will continue to mature. I see some IPOs in the future. I do hope that we'll see some IPOs happening on the continent. You know, Jumia famously went, went public on the New York Stock Exchange. Hasn't gone too great, but I know the next one will get it right. I see many of those happening, and I see real solid businesses doing it and succeeding and really demonstrating what can get done. I see a lot of M&A. Country, uh, companies like Floodwave have already started acquiring smaller, smaller companies. I see that accelerating. And, you know, so there will be some liquidity for startup founders increasingly. I see there being an increase in talent on the continent as countries like Rwanda invest a lot in, in, in education. There's a coding academy here. And in other parts of the country, you have companies like Alt School and, you know, Nessa and companies uh, dedicated to teaching people how to participate in the, tech, in te- the technology sector. So talents, financial activity, M&A, and for us, I see us truly succeeding at our digital transformation. There's a question that one of my favorite podcasters asks often, and maybe I'll start with Natalie on this. Uh, what's the kindest thing anyone has ever done to you, or at least in your career or in your personal life? Oh, that uh, would get me some few minutes to think Kindest thing that people That's have okay. done. Oh, maybe I'll pass a, a little Bina so that I can think about the question. All right, all right. Obina, do you have any? That's a tough one. I got married recently, and family and friends flew in from all over the world, and I think that was quite kind down to Rwanda so soon after COVID. So yeah, that's one of the kindest things. I'm sure I can think of many more examples. Teddy, back to you. No, any? It's really uh, linked to the warmth I get. You know, I get in the morning. We greet each other with hugs, and that is pre-COVID. So the kindest thing is really the personal connection at home. And of course, I'm a bit biased because I'm at home. But these are things you you don't see elsewhere. You see the hellos and hi, uh, how are you doing, where people don't even pay attention to the answers uh, when you look at the Western greetings. But at home, we give each other hugs. We actually have the personal human touch uh, that I appreciate a lot on our side. So when I wake up and get to the office, I see some smiles on the lift and the hugs uh, that we give each other in the teams. It really gets me going for the day. Oh, great. So I think now uh, we are at that point where you give us your closing thoughts and perhaps uh, maybe let us know what is in your reading list, what you're currently reading, what you can recommend to us. So perhaps you can start with Obina and then Natalie. So what's in your reading list and what you're enjoying currently and maybe some closing thoughts? I have a book I've been reading forever called Sovereign Individual. I'd recommend it. I think Homo Sapiens is also a good one. Closing thoughts. We're really excited about the work that we're doing at the bank to give customers a better experience through digital channels. And we hope to really send that out into the market this year. And for anyone listening, you should keep your eyes on this space. When we're ready, we hope that you'll join us as customers and experience the the many good things that we have in store for you. Natalie? Thank you. The book I've actually received to read for this weekend uh, from a friend is in French. It's La Voix de la Liberté Personnelle. So we are looking at it by Don uh, Miguel. It's about how to build really resilience uh, within. Uh, Apparently in this book, once you read it, you'll have the full perspective uh, on how to handle various perspectives in life and, uh, you know, various challenges in life. And yes, I'm looking forward to reading it. 
In terms of closing uh, thoughts, thank you very much for hosting us. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to be able to speak to you. And it does happen when I'm on the Nairobi side. So I appreciate all our listeners from the Kenyan market, all the support we get from the Rwandan side. Thank you so much uh, for hosting us. We promise to do uh, the best to please and to outperform in the market. If Please share your thoughts and reach out to us for any clarification that you do need. Thank you very much. Maybe tell us a little bit on what you're up to in Nairobi and what where people can find you if they want to talk to you around Nairobi. Uh, what do you do in Nairobi very often? Are um, you looking to buy a local bank? <laughs> we are looking at opportunities in the region, as we said earlier, but for now it's really investor relations. So we have a couple of, you know, a few meetings and non-deal world shows that we are covering for the next couple of days uh, in Nairobi. So meeting Kenyan funds in terms of liquidity from the stock on this side of the market. We'll do the same next month in Rwanda, where we are going to meet also with uh, some financial institutions and institutional investors on the Rwandan market. So our focus really this year is to, to, you know, to just get much closer to the funds that may have any questions and just give them the right information they may need in terms of investment uh, into BK Group or into the Rwandan market in general. So that's why I'm here, and it's just after we release our results, and we'll be doing more in terms of investor relations. We have great support with various partners that we have on the Nairobi side, and of course, any opportunity in terms of BK Group will be taking it back to the board for consideration. So any of your input, please reach out to our representative office. Krista is is leading the team on the ground, and I'm just a phone call away or an email. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. I see the CEO, uh, Diane Karusisi, is in the audience also. So thank you for listening in. And for all of you for joining us, we look forward again to hosting BK Group once they release the Q1 results or at least a half-year results. So again, soon discussing all these things and getting us to understand a little bit better how the space in Rwanda looks like in terms of banking and tech. Uh, if you want to listen to at least many of the uh, Twitter spaces that we've held, including two former ones with the CEO of BK Group and the CFO, they are available at muangocapital.substack.com. They are available across um, all channels, Spotify, Apple, you can get them on Muango Capital podcasts. Uh, so just search for that and then you can get all the around 23 uh, previous conversations that we've had. So lots of content for you to pour over. Other than that, have a lovely week. Thank you all for joining us. 